All right, Matthew chapter 9. You know, a few weeks ago, we finished Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which was displaying Jesus' authority as a teacher. And then in chapters 8 and 9, where we are now, we just finished 8, it's Jesus' authority in his teaching, uh, in his works, actually what he did, his miracles, his signs, and his wonders. And so uh, what happens in Matthews 8 and 9 is that uh, Matthew takes about 10 examples about Jesus' authority, which are proofs that he is indeed the son of God. Now, why is that important? So what? Like Matthew's writing all this stuff and we're seeing Jesus do, he teaches and then he does miracles and everybody goes, oh, he's amazing. You know, it's like, how does that actually connect with where we are? If you go to John chapter 30, verse 20, Uh, dyslexia. If you go to John chapter 20, verse 30, just open your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 30. This is a good verse. If you ever wonder why something is written, it usually tells you the author will tell you why it's written or they'll repeat it a hundred times. But this is John's reason for writing his gospel in John chapter 20, verse 30. This is now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And another place he says, you can't even like books can't contain how many things he did. And so the, this Matthew's grabbing some of them. Luke grabs some of them. Some of them overlap. Some of them don't. But John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And by that, by believing in him, you may have life in his name. So here's the thing. Eternal love life becomes by believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. This is really important. Not just do you believe something about him, but he is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that he is the Christ, the one that was promised in the old Testament, the one who would come and save us from our sins. And he's in, and so inherent within who he is, is his authority to do all those things. Does that make sense? So if I'm the president, if I walk to you and say, hi, I'm the president of the world. You stop chuckling. And, and I say, I'm the president. And I start telling you I'm the president. And I walk around, I start acting like the president, but no one's following me. No one's doing anything. I say, I don't even have a private jet. You know, no, <laughs> no one's listening to me. Guess what? I'm not. I'm not the president. I don't have the people. I don't have followers. I don't, I'm not the president. But if I say I'm the son of God, and then I come in and I teach you about what God is like. And then all of a sudden I, I say now to demonstrate that I am the son of God, here's things that only God would be able to do. And then God starts, and he starts doing it among you. Everybody goes, what in the world's going on here? And that is exactly the point why the, 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 the disciples who walked with Jesus, handled Jesus, touched Jesus, was with Jesus the whole time. They're sitting here. We're, we're the ones that the Lord tapped to communicate to you exactly what he was like. And so by knowing him, by, by, by me sharing all these things with you, John would say, Matthew would say, Mark, Luke, all these guys that you would believe that he is who the scripture said he is. You know, Thomas at the end of, well, when Jesus was resurrected and he didn't believe, right? He says, I'm not going to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. And, and, and Jesus kind of was there. He popped in and on Thomas a week later and Tom, says, Hey Thomas, put your, put your fingers in, in, in my hand and in my side. And he goes, and, and Thomas bows down and finally says, Oh Lord, my God, you know, he calls Jesus God right there. Just my God, my savior, basically. And then, 
He goes, man, you're blessed, but more blessed are the person who doesn't see and believes. That's us. And so we're believing on the account of these people. And that is why this is under attack over and over and over and over in society. The enemy does not want you to believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. And yet by any other standards, as you look at the new Testament and the criticism of it and how it's put together and all that stuff, you would throw out every other kind of book and say, Oh, it's, it's not real. You throw about, you throw away the ancient literature of Greece. You throw away the ancient literature of Rome and in medieval literature and all this stuff we hold on to. And if you held the same standard that the, the, of criticism towards the new Testament that people do today, in other words, it's solid. And not only is the new Testament solid, it's declaring to you what actually really happened. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived, he performed these miracles. He did these things. He died and he rose again. 500 people saw him afterwards. They all, you know, most of them gave their lives because he's real. They went on to do miracles and signs and wonders and these things. And the church was born. So here we are 2000 years later and, and the word of God is set before us. Listen, I don't want you to walk away going, Oh, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe in CCF or I like master pastor Matt's teaching. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Do you believe that he is the one who has the power to take away your sins? And who rose again. That's all that matters in the end. Do you believe in Jesus? And not just fairy tale belief, but a life belief, a, a, a life that is given over to him belief that keeps on believing. Amen. Amen. And so that's what this is all about. And so we're looking in Matthew chapters seven is authority and teaching. This is the King teaching his the world, what his kingdom is like. And then he comes along and starts demonstrating the power and the authority that he has as king over all these things. And so in matters of good and evil and judgment over sickness, over disease, over demons, over sin, over life, over death. And he just, this is Matthew's point. He just keeps showing us his authority in all these areas. And so when we say that we believe in Jesus, it is believing in who he is. He is God in the flesh. And Matthew has given us examples and proofs of this over and over so that we would see what the prophets prophesied thousands of years earlier, 1500 years earlier. And we would go, wow, this is amazing. And so as we pick this up in verse nine, this morning, uh, chapter nine, this morning, verse one, it says, and getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Remember last week he left Capernaum. And went to the other side and then he healed that demoniac or both of them. And then he, now he's on his way back and he comes back to uh, Capernaum and behold, verse two, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now looking at this man, the way people normally do, the way I do, the way we do, when we see someone who is totally like laid out on a bed, we assume they've got something physically wrong with them. And quite often that's the situation, right? <laughs> that we live in. It seems from the surface that this guy's issue is he is a paralytic. It's a physical problem. How many of us would just go? Yeah, that guy's got physical problems. Yep, absolutely. And so from a human point of view, from a paralytic, you know, from a practical point of view, we would look at this guy and say, this man needs some advanced medicine. He needs some advanced science. Maybe he needs a neural link you know, get Elon Musk in the thing, get everything hooked up and he can start moving again. And his issues are solved. If only that could happen, then if only the physical condition was fixed, then he would have life. 
But you see for this man, paralysis was, was the symptom of, of something different. It was a symptom of a spiritual condition. Um, the root cause of this man's paralysis wasn't because he injured himself. Apparently uh, his paralysis was brought on because of sin in his life. We know that because Jesus doesn't address the paralysis right away. He goes straight to the core issue. He goes, your sins are forgiven. That's the first thing he says to him. How many of you are going like, no, no, that's not what I came here for. How many of you go to a doctor and you go, I've got this problem. They go to you. No, like deal with that. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> You know, eat less, walk more, all those things, you know, that's not what I asked about. It's a lifestyle issue. No, no, no. You know, anyways. Now, Jesus said to this guy, Hey, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Now we don't know what the sin is. A lot of people speculate what it is, but whatever it was, it was a result of sin in his life. That's what it manifested itself physically in this person. And sometimes that's what happens with sin in our lives is that there's a physical manifestation of it. Not always, but sometimes, and it was the case in this guy's life. Now the core issue, and this is the core issue. And I want to come back to that, but what we see here is that his friends see him. And this is really special about this thing. His friends see him in this condition. He's paralyzed. And we see the love and compassion of these friends for this guy and that they loved him and cared about him so much in his state and had such pity on him that they actually grabbed him, put him on a mat and dragged him to see Jesus. They heard about Jesus and said, man, this guy could fix him. And so you have four people. The other gospels tell us there's four of them. There might be more, but they, they grabbed them and they come to this place where Jesus is teaching, but it's so packed out, you know, that they couldn't get inside. And so what happens is they climb up on the roof and the Middle Eastern roofs there were made of thatch or mud or whatever. And they broke apart the roof and they, and they break apart the roof. Imagine sitting there and all of a sudden this stuff's falling down and everybody's getting frustrated. And all of a sudden this guy, these guys lower this guy down on a mat in front of Jesus in the midst of that room. And that's, what's going on here. When Jesus um, says there in verse three, behold, uh, when he says to the, when he lowers them, when he lowers them down there and says, uh, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. That's what had happened. He marvels at these guys, this guy's faith. And so it's a, it's a minor point, but it's their faith in Christ that leads this guy to healing their faith in, in Christ. And notice their faith actually did something. They didn't just sit there and, oh man, I hope this guy gets healed. They actually took him to Jesus. They did something about it. Their love actually played out in their lives. And so they grabbed him, <clears throat> excuse me. They grabbed him. They put him on the, on the thing and they, and they brought him there and they didn't let obstacles get in their way. They, they overcame all the obstacles and the people and everything. How many of you are like, oh, I want to help, you know, Sansa, but yeah, gosh, man, I got to get my car. You know, oh, you know, I, I love that person, but oh, you know, it's that hand. Yeah, so tired. I want to take them to church, but yeah, you know, I don't want to text them. You know, it could bother them. It's dinner time, blah, blah, blah. You know, just forget about that stuff. Bring people to Jesus, right? Okay. Any, yes. All right. <laughs> Amen. So. They bring people to Jesus. And I think that's what we do too. Obviously, listen, it's the Lord who has to do the healing. It's the Lord who has to do the, do the forgiving. Amen. We can't heal people. We can't forgive people, all that kind of stuff in, in this sense, but we can be his hands and feet. 
We can have faith where people don't, we can, we can bring Christ to people. We can love on them and tell them the truth and, and invite them places and just constantly, you know, put the Lord in front of them. Amen. Maybe God would do something. We just trust in him. So they brought their paralyzed friend in this state and Jesus saw what no one could see. It wasn't the physical condition that it was actually bugging him. It was a spiritual condition. It was because of sin and it had taken a toll on this man's body. And so Jesus said to the man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. In verse three, and behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Oh, it's always wonderful. The scribes and the Pharisees were in the room too. And so as we're going to see out throughout all of Matthew's gospel, these guys are constantly on him the whole time to the point where they put, they crucify him. Right. And so they're right there ready to judge Jesus. Now in Luke's account in Luke chapter five, it tells us that the reason they were thinking that Jesus was being blasphemous was because they said in their minds, only God can forgive sins. That's the context is only God can forgive sins. And for Jesus to say that someone's sins were forgiven would be him equating himself with God. That's the issue there. Only God can forgive sins. And so if you're saying you forgive sins, you're saying that you have the authority of God. You're, you're, you're on equal par with God. And that's exactly what was going on. They were right, but they had the wrong (laughs) understanding of who he was. And so that's the, that's the problem. They were saying he's blasphemous. And this is what Jesus responds to verse four says, but Jesus knowing their thoughts. Now that's a scary thing right there. He knew what was in the paralytic's heart. And now he knows what's in these guys' hearts. There's no getting around Jesus. He knows what you're going, what you're going through, what's going on, what you're thinking. He sees right through. But Jesus knowing their thoughts. And by the way, that can be a good thing too. He goes, why do you think evil in your hearts? Why do you think evil in your hearts? Again, Jesus not only saw into the paralytic's heart, but he could read into these guys' hearts and, and, he, and he saw what they were thinking. It was evil. The evil they were thinking is that Jesus was being blasphemous. The very thought that somehow Jesus was defaming God by forgiving this man. Well, Jesus is going to clear things up real quickly. Verse five. He says, for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk. Think about that. As I sit there and say, some of you are suffering with physical things, which is easier for me to do say your sins are forgiven or to say like you're healed. What's easier to say sins are forgiven. Why? You can't see it. It's not physical. It's spiritual. So Jesus is telling them, Hey, what's easier to do to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk verse verse six, but that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic rise, pick up your bed and go home. And guess what happened? Verse seven. And he rose and went home <laughs> and the other things he's jumping and skipping and happy. Right. But verse eight, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, Jesus Christ is the son of God. That's the point. He is God in the flesh and he has authority to forgive sin. And this is what scared everybody that Jesus says, so that, you know, that I have authority to forgive sin, that I am God in the flesh, that I am the son of God. 
I'm going to do something that you can see so that you'll know what I say happens when it comes to spiritual things as well. And when that happened, they just sat there and said, who is this guy? And and the disciples had that moment. They said, who is this guy that the wind and the waves obey him? What in the world's going on? Who is this? And that's the point. Who is this? You know, so think about this. First John one, nine, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us from all unrighteousness. How do you know it happens? How do you know your sins are forgiven? Because he said so. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. That's the point. How are you born again? The way Jesus says for God, so loved the world that he gave his only son. These are the words of Jesus that anyone who believes on him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. You think he was joking around? Have you believed upon Jesus? You shall not perish and you have eternal life. How? Why is that? Because he said so. Because he is who he is. He came to bring life. Amen. When the scriptures talk about not only giving you grace now, but showing you grace in the future, do you think they're just, oh, you know, whatever. God's going to forget about you in 10 million years. No, he's good. You're good. When it talks about the great and precious promises you have, or the things we have in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life and and the promise of the resurrection and, and all these types of things that God promises, they're absolutely true. And this is why the enemy wants you to, he wants to undermine the word of God in your life so that you don't believe that what he says is actually what he says. And so we walk around defeated, believing professors and believing people who are in total darkness as opposed to the word of God. Believe him. And I'm not asking you to do weird things. Just believe what Jesus says. And he comes to this man who is in his sin and he says, Hey, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. And guess what happened to that man at that moment? His sins were forgiven. They were gone. And then Jesus goes to top it off to show a sign to the Pharisees that your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Amen. Now here's the problem. We want the get up and walk, but we don't want the sins that you're forgiven. And that was the heart of Israel. That's why they wanted to kill him. They wanted the physical things. They wanted the ruler. They wanted the emperor. They wanted the person who would deliver them physically, who would give them free bread and, and and all this type of stuff. But they did not want the one who was dealing with their hearts. And that's the most important thing that matters. Cause like I said, we're, it's appointed a man. Like I said, the scripture said it's appointed to us to die once and then to judgment, right? So Jesus has authority to forgive sin. What sin do you have in your life? What do you do with it? 
Well, you go to Jesus and you confess it to him and you turn from it. How do you turn? Because he said he'd help you. He give you strength in your mortal bodies. But see, faith works, right? It goes, you go to Jesus, you confess it. And he also empowers you to change over time. Amen. And he is transforming you into the likeness of Christ over time. Praise God. So take your heavy burden and run to Jesus this morning. Amen. <laughs> run to him, run to him, run to him, run to the light. Don't be a cockroach and run into the darkness, be a moth and run into the light. Amen. And you know, woo. So Jesus has authority to forgive sin. And in verse nine it says, and Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. My sheep hear my voice. Amen. Now from in the midst of all these miracles, a, a, a few times here, as Matthew's giving these miracles in Matthew eight and nine, he'll stop and he'll give examples of people who want to follow Jesus. Remember in chapter eight, there were the two guys. The one was a, a, a scribe. He says, I want to follow you. And then Jesus says, listen, I'm going to be homeless. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to give up your comfort and your convenience. If you want to follow me. All right. Doesn't say what he did, but he just told him that. And the other guy goes, Hey, I want to follow you, but first let me bury my dad. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead, but you follow me. In other words, I got to be above every relationship. I got to be number one. You follow me. It doesn't say what happened to those guys. And so Matthew then goes on and tells more miracles. And now he tells the miracles as he's walking through the city and he picks up on his own story. And so this is where Matthew enters into the scene. He's sitting in a tax booth. Jesus just heals this guy. He's walking down the street and Jesus walks up to him and says, follow me. And what does Matthew do? He gets up and follows him. Just simply leaves things and follows him. Isn't that amazing? He comes to a tax collector named Matthew and calls him to follow him. And this is the same Matthew, obviously, who wrote this gospel, one of Jesus's apostles. Matthew is a tax collector. And as we know, tax collectors were not very, they were detested. Let's just say that by the Jews, <laughs> you know, if you would flatten their tires, you would kind of a thing. Um, because they were, in fact, they were working for the Roman government and they could, they were required to take a certain amount of, taxes from the people and anything above and beyond that they could keep for themselves. And so guess what they did? They took more than they should a lot more than they should. And so they were very, very wealthy individuals. Most of them. So they were not loved at all. They were despised. And Jesus walks up to one of them and says, follow me. Nevertheless, Matthew picks up and follows him. Right. I love that about the Lord. Don't you? He calls all kinds of people to himself. He calls people like you. People like me. Amen. And the people that we deem as the outcasts that we look at and say, ah, he's walking up to some of them and saying, come follow me out of darkness. Amen. I love about the Lord lepers, centurions, now tax collectors, Matthew's purposeful in that. Remember the one writing this was one of those. 
And he takes them and he saves them and their lives become testimonies of God's grace. Such was Matthew, both Mark and Luke use Matthew's other name, Levi, uh, Matthew, uh, Mark two and Luke five. You can find those accounts. Most think that Matthew's name was, was given to him after he came to the Lord. Matthew means gift of God. And so um, the other gospels record Levi and Matthew after encountering Jesus, Levi is Matthew, same guy. Uh, after encountering Jesus, he throws a party at his house and all the other tax collectors are coming over to his house because, Hey man, Jesus asked me to follow him. He's going to be the guest of honor. And, and so he invites all his friend group. So guess who comes to the party? A bunch of sinners and tax collectors, right? <laughs> that's who gets invited to this party at Matthew's house. And that's where we pick up in verse ba- back in verse 10 of, of Matthew chapter uh, nine. This is in a Jesus reclined at the table at the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. That's how they ate. They'd reclined around the table. And when, and when the Pharisees saw this, there they are again, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Yikes. And again, the Pharisees are being critical of everything that Jesus does. So forgiving sin and now eating with sinners and tax collectors, uh, you know, that's, you know, what, what is he doing? He doesn't have the power to forgive sin. What is he doing eating with tax collectors and, and these types of people? What's he doing? And again, the Pharisees were all about the appearance of righteousness, but not the substance of it. That's really important. And so they would never associate with sinners in, in the way Jesus did. Sinners were to be avoided and ridiculed. Avoided and ridiculed. Sinners were to be avoided and ridiculed, but Jesus came to save them. I know it's not a popular term to call sinners sinners, but we are all sinners. That's how we, that's God's view of us. So we, we just need to get over the terminology because that's really the condition of, of our souls before God. We have all sinned and fallen short before God, but he was sitting And when he's talking about the sinners and the righteous, there were those in the city who followed, there were those Jews who followed the laws and commandments and would stay away from certain things. And there were people just blatantly out to lunch on anything spiritual. And those were the sinners and the tax collectors. Okay. But Jesus came to save him. Like in Luke 19, this is really cool. Jesus is dining with Zacchaeus. This is in Jericho. And, and this is in the Southern part of the country and Zacchaeus. Remember he's really short, gets up in a tree and, and Jesus comes, he goes, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And then, and then in repentance, Zacchaeus is like, man, you came to my house and I'm following you. I, you know, something had changed. He came in contact with Jesus and he goes, I'm going to, whatever I've taken from people, I'm giving it back like fourfold and he, you know, whatever the number was, he's like, I'm paying everybody back. Not only what I took from them, but interest back to them. And then Jesus in response says to him today, uh, salvation has come to this house since also, uh, since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. We always think, uh, we always think that verse, you know, oh yeah, he came to save and seek the lost. The context is he's sitting with a tax collector, someone who is not, you know, the Jews wouldn't sit with one of the enemies of Israel. We must never forget that this is the heart of the Lord. And so too, it must be our hearts. Lest we forget the mercy he gave to us. Jesus said that the reason he came into the world is to show mercy to sinners. Jesus in response to the Pharisees criticism likened himself to a physician. Physicians spend most of their time dealing with sick people, right? 
Yeah. How many of you go to a doctor just for fun? I mean, we know we're supposed to, but I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Something's wrong. Something's ongoing. You need something managed or to be looked at, right? This is what the son of God was doing. He was with sinners. He was with rebels who were facing the judgment of God. And he came into their lives and guess what he did? Came to save them calling them to repent and believe. And this is what Jesus was doing, eating with Matthew and calling him out and his friends. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees in verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. These are the teachers of Israel. They know this verse. And now he tells the teachers, you need to go back to school. You need to learn about the heart of God. The heart of God isn't about all the superficial stuff at the expense of the heart of things. Yes, do your tithes and offerings and all these things, but also bear witness of the heart of God. Jesus is quoting from Hosea 6, 6 in the context of that verse given by Hosea is that Israel had been doing a bunch of external things. They'd been doing all the, they'd been going to church. They've been giving their tithes. They'd had their attendance down and, and, and they had done all the religious type stuff, but they were treating the, their brothers horribly. They were taking advantage of widows. They were, they were just wicked towards one another. And that's where that the prophet comes to the nation and says, listen, I desire mercy, not sacrifice like the heart. It's not saying don't sacrifice. The, the thing is, is you're forgetting to be merciful. God is merciful. Amen. And so, so with the hypocrites, the hypocritical leaders, they were not being merciful. They were forgetting that God has a heart for sinners. And as God fearing truth, loving believers, we can also fall into the same attitudes as Pharisees and scribes. We can sing the songs. We can go to church. We can give things, but we can also do what they did. We can judge the lost and ridicule those whom God would seek to show his mercy through us. You know, to think that way is to miss the heart of God. Amen. So be careful how we judge, right? Jesus is like a physician and he goes to the sick to heal them. The unrighteous are the target. Don't forget that. Amen. (laughs) Of whom we all have been yet by the grace of God, we're here. So the Pharisees wanted Jesus to steer clear of sinners. Jesus says, go learn the heart of God. And this is what Matthew was doing and, and his tax collectors friends were doing. Jesus is ministering to them. He's sitting with them. He's eating with them. He's hanging out with them. He's conversing with them. He's talking with them. He's their ideas of who God is and who God really is. These things are being fleshed out through conversation, through action, through being with one another. And this is how we should do it as well. Amen. Amen. Yeah. But I also have to say in that some have taken verses like this, and this is the flip side of this, where we see Jesus ministering among sinners and as being some kind of compassionate green light to endorse sin and to join in with sinners. This is the dangerous side of this, that we take verses where Jesus is compassionate, merciful, and he's hanging out with sinners. And we go, Hey, I'm going to go drink beers. You know, it's like, oh, well, his beer's bad. That's not the point. The point is Jesus didn't get his tax, didn't go grab a tax booth. 
and start collecting taxes with everybody and start taking more than he should so that he could create a ministry to relate to tax collectors, to win them to Jesus. I know that sounds kind of weird. This is sometimes our, 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 you know, and what it is, is it's tricking our, our flesh wants to do evil. And so we go, Oh, well, in order to go minister to these people, I'm going to go ahead and be with them. But that what happens instead of being with them, you become among them. That's the danger. See, it's not our ability to relate that wins people to Christ. It's Christ's spirit within us, his holiness, his truth, his love. Amen. Amen. It's like, obviously you sit down with people who don't see eye to eye and all that stuff. Try to avoid all the politics and all that stuff and just go to the gospel. Cause that's all that really matters in the end, but sit and relate with them, but don't compromise. That's not, that's not evangelism, you know? And I know it's difficult because people are having conversations about sexuality and all this stuff. And they just want you to go with the flow. And if you're not, you're a, you're a part of a hate group or whatever it might be. It's like, no, just going to stand in the light. I'm still going to love you. I'm not going to endorse, but I'm going to love. It's very difficult, but you see Jesus doing it here. At no point was Jesus compromised in his ministry at no point. And so too, we should live that way. You know, Titus chapter two, 11, this is something good for you to write down. It's Titus two and 11. As we close here, it says for the grace of God has appeared Titus two, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. That's what the grace of God does. It doesn't teach us how to be further ingrained in the world. It teaches us actually how to say no, as some of your translations say no to the flesh and how to live self-controlled godly lives, how to be Christ-like in, but not of amen. So there's a danger at looking verses like this and twisting them to somehow being a green light to endorse sin. So instead of ministering to the lost, people start living like the lost. So we've got to be careful with that. But Jesus was having dinner with them. He didn't start collecting taxes. He didn't take advantage of people, all that stuff. Um, Jesus was calling them out of darkness into the light. And then the disciples of John verse 14, we'll go through this real quickly. Um, and then the disciples of John, that is John the Baptist came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples don't fast. We know from the other gospels that this is not coming from the disciples of John, but this is coming from the Pharisees to the disciples of John to get to Jesus. Why aren't you guys fasting? Why aren't you keeping our traditions? Is fasting a good thing? Amen. But why aren't you doing it on the days that are prescribed like the, like we do as disciples of John and also the, uh, the Pharisees do. Why aren't you doing that? We already went over that in Matthew chapter five through seven, when it talks about how you're to fast, don't fast like the Pharisees that were doing the outward appearance, but do this. The Pharisees fasted in often very public ways. We read about that, but in verse 15, Jesus answers them. Why don't we fast? And he goes, and Jesus said to them, can wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. And Jesus says, just, it's like, it's like, this is a time for celebration. The bridegroom is with the guests. I, and Jesus is going, I, I'm the bridegroom and these are my guests. We're hanging out. There's no need for sorrow. 
There's no need for fasting. The Lord is with you. He's here. Amen. That's what he's saying. That's why they're not doing that because he's with the Lord. They would have other issues with him. Why don't these things happen? The Sabbath and this and that it's like, I'm here. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. But the idea, again, the idea of fasting in scripture is generally in the context of seeking God in a time of great difficulty and sorrow. And there are times for that in our lives, but there's no sorrow. They're there with him. The Lord's walking with them. How many of you would want to be among that group? Amen. Anyone? Amen. Now we are, but that was something else. So Jesus says at the end of 13, uh, verse 15, he says, but the day is coming when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. This might be referring to when he was betrayed or died, or it might be talking about the ascension when he left, but there's coming a time when they will actually have cause to fast when difficult times will come upon them and they'll need to seek God and fasting and prayer. That's what he was referring to. But point was that Jesus was with his disciples. There was no need for that. In verse 16, now he gets to the greater cause here. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and the, and the worse and a worse tear is made. Now he's going to, he's going to, he's addressing the root issue of what they're talking about. Why aren't you keeping the traditions? That's what they're really after. Why aren't you keeping the traditions? And Jesus starts talking about, old patches being put on new clothes. You know, I watched Ruth. sew over the summer and she had a lot of projects going on there and she, she would wash certain fabrics. So I guess ladies, when you put there, I was stereotyping, sorry, I don't sew. Um, <clears throat> all the people I know. sew are women. What do you know? Um, so when you put stuff together, what happens? Like if you put an old patch on a, on new clothing, I guess when the, one washes it, tears it. Cause they, you know, one stretch, one's already stretched and one isn't. And so there's, there's something. Yeah. <laughs> so old patches with old garments work well, new patches with new garments work well. Right. I guess that's the idea that Jesus was talking about. And he goes, verse 17 goes, neither is it is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is the skin will burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wines put into fresh wine skins. And so both are preserved. And so apparently the fermentation process would cause expanding. Uh, and so if something was already expanded to its limit and you put new wine into it, it would span, expand more and burst it. And that's the idea there. And so the same concept with garments and animal skins and wine skins and all that. And what Jesus is getting at here uh, is that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, the old wine skins. He came to fulfill them. They have a purpose and they have a reason and they are there. Right but there is a new covenant coming. There was a new covenant coming, a covenant, not ratified by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the lamb of God, by the son of God, a new covenant, not with bulls and goats, but with the son of God, a new high priest, not of the line of Levi, but of the order of Melchizedek. If you would one without beginning and without end, a new priest, who died once for all time. And the priesthood is not by relationship to the blood of Levites. It's by relationship to the blood of Christ. That's the new priesthood, <clears throat> a new covenant with a new temple, a temple, not in Jerusalem, 
least not till the millennium, but in our hearts, not made with hands, but filled with the spirit of God. This is a new covenant. A Sabbath rest, not on Saturday, but on every day through Christ, we have rest from works and you can go on and on. And if you read the book of Hebrews, this is what it is. The old Testament is shadows and types. It's old wineskins, and it has a purpose and it's good and it's right, but it points to the fullness of the reality. Who is Christ? He is the fulfillment of it all. He is the temple. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He's everything. And he's saying you're trying when what you guys are wanting to do is you're wanting to put that old wineskin into the new and it's not going to work. And this won't work in that. It was about to happen in Jesus's days. We're reading is Matthew's writing this. Well, it's, it already had happened. It's that God would fulfill in substance through Jesus, what the pictures and the types of the old covenant look forward to. We have to remember that especially when you're dealing with legalistic systems that try to you to, to keep you to do all these things. Listen, they're fulfilled in Christ. They're fulfilled in Christ, but make no mistake. Being fulfilled in Christ is not a recipe for lawlessness. Gosh, I really need to expand on that, but I'm not going to right now. Both have a place, both preserved. And what the Pharisees will want to do constantly is to shove the old wine into the new wine skin. And that can't happen. And so I believe this is what Jesus is speaking about. And they will kill him because he won't. And that's, what's going to happen. And so we'll pick up in verse 18 this next Sunday and finish out the chapter. Amen. I did get through a few verses, so God's good. Lord, thank you that you are Lord over our sin, that you have the power to forgive sin and that you promise that if we come to you and we confess Lord, and I'm so thankful your Holy spirit does that you do the work constantly where you convict us of our sin and of the righteousness of Jesus and the judgment to come. Your spirit is at work so that we can't stay in our, in our mess. Lord, you, you want to bring us into the light to cleanse us and to give us life. And so thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that any heart that is overwhelmed this morning, that you would confess your sin to the Lord Jesus and he would cleanse you of all righteousness. Why? Because he said it and you would walk in the freedom and the forgiveness that he promised. And so Lord, I just thank you for that. Thank you that you call people like Matthew people like us out of sin and into your light. Do more of that, Lord. Help us to have a heart that would see across the street. That would see to the person that we would never, that we, that is the tax collector in our life. Help us to have soft hearts, Lord, to be merciful and not neglect the sacrifices you've called us to but that we wouldn't not forget the heart of God. So merciful, so tender towards us. And so God fill us with your joy as we walk in obedience in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord bless you all this week. God bless you. Go encourage one another, edify one another. Amen.